1: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or
0: restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. This month, Christina and I are doing a deep dive into the topic of intuitive fitness and movement. So our guests this month are all non-diet fitness professionals who practice from a body-neutral, weight-inclusive approach who share the goal of making movement more accessible, flexible, and joyful for all bodies. And in case you missed it a few weeks ago, make sure you click the link in the show notes to take our free quiz, Are You a Wellness Chaser? Especially if you love the discussion on the nutrition jungle and wellness chasing. Our guest today is Barb Puzanuvova, who is known as the non-diet trainer. Barb is an ACE certified personal group trainer, behavior change specialist, and certified intuitive eating counselor. She is dedicated to teaching her clients how to move joyfully and train with attention for all bodies. On today's episode with Barb, we are digging into joyful and intuitive movement versus training and workouts, and what a weight neutral approach looks like when she works with clients. We're also discussing how to shift away from external motivators in your relationship with fitness in order to set ourselves up for success instead of with an all or nothing approach. Barb, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We are super, super excited to have you. So to get started, if you could introduce yourself by telling the listeners a little bit more about you and how your body image and relationship with fitness has evolved over the years.
2: Mm, okay, well, hi, I'm Barb, the non-designer. And I will say that... I have never been a trainer that has been non-diet or not non-diet, um, but, I, as a person, have been a dieter. So I, I think that's really great to be clear about um, and in, you know instills this compassion to all people and all of my clients, um, regardless of where they are in their journey. So if I kind of cycle it back, just at least to high school, I'm not going to go to my birth story, you know, um, <laughs> but just going back to high school, um, you know, was like a straight A student, all that jazz. I really loved learning. I was such a bookworm, artsy, indie kid. Um, I'm very much into poetry and all that good stuff. Uh, but definitely was, you know, had that perfectionistic tendency. And I was just like, okay, well, um, got into a great college. Uh, and then from there, I just felt like I was the little fish in the big pond. And uh, a lot of my peers felt felt the same way. So we're all kind of swimming in the same water. And we all had different ways of kind of dealing with that, that stress of newness and uncertainty. Uh, And mine was just controlling my food and controlling every little aspect of health because that felt like the right thing to do of like, okay, well, if I'm going to be this great student um, and kind of perform, then in that case, I have to take care of my health, right? Like I have to sleep, et cetera. So I don't think I pulled a single (laughs) all-nighter throughout college. I love my sleep. Um, So, you know, for better and for worse, uh, learned a lot of things about myself throughout that time. And. Um, eventually kind of halfway through college realized like, hey, maybe I don't need to be this stressed out about food. Like maybe I don't need to be binging in my car, you know, eating a bunch of stuff from like Walgreens uh, because I'm just, and uh, so I ended up going into therapy, I want to say towards the end of fall of 2014. And the biggest thing I remember is I don't think we talked about food or disordered eating or eating disorders at all. All we talked about, like one uh, question that I remember she had asked me was like, did you ever go a day without setting a goal? And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) I don't know what that means. I don't know how you just go a day without setting any goals or intentions or whatever. And um, it was just an eye-opening moment of like, okay, maybe we can be a little more playful, joyful, intuitive flexible um, with our lives we're not gonna die <laughs> like this isn't going to ruin our lives or make us less efficient or less successful as human beings um, and that's kind of where I think that kick-started now I remember the f- the first time in a long time in 2015 um, I don't think I knew what intuitive eating was at the time or knew it by name anyways but I think I started practicing it um, up until then I was like counting macros and doing all these things and Uh, that was the first time that I was like, okay, my only resolution, goal, whatever, for this particular month is just to not track my food and just see how it goes. Um, It was a very experimental, curious, joyful kind of thing of just like, if I hate it, I can go back to tracking. Surprise, surprise, not to ruin the ending. I did not go back to tracking (laughs) ever. (laughs) So um, it was just baby steps that I didn't have to dive into it all right away. Um, and now that has evolved into, uh, in 2019, it became an intuitive eating counselor. Um, of course got, got certified as an A certified group trainer, um, and personal trainer as well a few years ago. So I've been practicing through that lens and with that Story for a really long time, at least it feels like it to me. And I hope I continue to do it for years to come. What
1: an awesome story. I really like how it kind of evolved from like your own kind of perfectionistic tendencies on your own. And then kind of like this like one simple question from your therapist all those years ago, like untangled, like it was like one little pulled, and it was like, we're gonna untangle it all, all at once. And it it kind of made me think like what like we see that a lot, right? Like Dana and I talk about that a lot about perfectionism so much. And like, we're always wondering like, what is it? Like, why do we think that people have an all or nothing punishing relationship with food and with fitness? And we'd love to hear more about why do you think people have such a all or nothing like
2: perfectionistic
1: kind of relationship with fitness?
2: great question and i hope i can fit it into something so i guess what i'll start with is um just this general sense of like okay where are we as a fitness industry right now um i am very much part of the fitness industry so i have to speak from a first person perspective not just us versus them um i feel like sometimes that's what i can feel like as anti-diet practitioners of like oh they're so different it's like no i am part of this as well and how do we go about understanding where we're at. So uh, what I'll hear a lot and what I'll see a lot as well myself is that we have this idea that there is a some perfect system, you know, some ideal system uh, and i i see it happen anytime i do a certification of some sort that it's like this is the system that's going to get you out of pain help you lose weight um you know move more freely get strong and so like there's some there's some good things along with that where it's like oh cool like i would like to feel better in my body i okay like have less pain or feel stronger uh have more energy like there's all these messages that are also then uh tied up with losing weight right so like it's just this thing that you're handed over and whatever this, it doesn't matter what the system is that they sell. Um, just like we were talking about briefly before this, like intuitive fasting or whatever, it doesn't matter what the system is called. Um, in, I was trying to think, I was talking to, um, uh, one of my trainer friends and there's like FMS, there's functional movement systems. There's a course I'm taking right now called OPEX. And they each have their own just philosophy around movement, right? So I think it's all just sold as like, here you go, because ultimately all these systems are just business models. And they're like, cool, we can train people under this. We can train coaches under this. We can make money off of the certifications, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Um, So I think ultimately understanding that it's not just um, diet culture, you know, and I think when we think of diet culture, it's like supplementation and, and different like diet books and blah, blah, blah that are selling us something, but it's also like I am selling my services. So I think that's where we kind of get into this all or nothing system of like, okay, well, I have to follow the system where it's not going to work. And then it's my fault. Um, and it's the same kind of thing, just like with diets where it's like, well, if I didn't follow the diet perfectly, um, for example, whole 30, then it's like, well, of course it doesn't work because you didn't do it exactly. you know. So I think that's a great place to start with it. And now it's your own fault. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For sure. When you
0: were saying that, I was like, oh my God, no way. There are all these different systems that promise you the world. And then when they don't work, they make you feel like it's your fault. It's so funny because I don't think unless you're really like in the fitness tree and you really see it that way, people I think can see that more in the dieting industry because- all of these different you know, systems or diets or programs are so monetized, right? But what you don't really think about until you're like really in the industry of fitness is like, okay, well, there's like P90X and there's CrossFit and there's Beachbody and there's all this other stuff. And they all are trying to sell services and saying like, you have a problem and we have the solution the same way that they do in dieting. And then if you don't do it right or if you don't do the 90 days of P90X or whatever, and they're like, Well, of course you didn't get the results you wanted honey because you didn't do it right.
2: (laughs) Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so we get, we normalize this idea that in order to, um, you know, for example, have more mobility in our bodies. And by that, I mean, like, we have a range of motion in our body, I can lift my arms or my head, I can squat down to the floor to pick something up. In order for that to happen, we need to be like robots (laughs) for years and years and years, potentially. And it's like, no, what breeds consistency is the ability, again, to be flexible, Um, flexibility breeds sustainability, um, just in its nature. Like I think about the way that I sleep, I feel like I'm Generally, a pretty consistent sleeper, and it doesn't mean that I get into bed, look at my clock, and say, "Okay, it's ten o'clock." Immediately, shut eyes, you know, and then at six o'clock, my eyes pop open. I'm like, "All right, let's go." Um, that doesn't mean that that's how I need to sleep, but there is some sort of rhythm to it, and uh, that's something that I I want to dive into a little bit more about. Like, okay, so if if the perfect system doesn't exist, like, what do I do? Because I think that's where things get can get really confusing. Just like when we're like, okay, well, diets don't work. So then what do I do uh, with this information? Because structure can be really helpful for people. I believe that, you know, like some sort of ground to stand on is great. uh, But then how do we go from basic principles to implementing those?
1: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking about while you were talking about the structure, it's hard sometimes to, when you have like this old school, like, like when I say old school, but when you have like an approach to everything being like, I need to follow like a follow a program or I need the structure or I'm perfectionistic or I'm really goal oriented. It can feel really hard to like make that, that step into doing something and then, um, and then following through with it or feeling like, Am I following through with it or am I am I being too structured or am I being too casual with myself? I mean, I remember Dan and I had this conversation, someone in one of our programs recently where they where they literally said, How do I know if I'm just being like um if I'm being hard on myself or if I'm not holding myself accountable to my values? And I was like, that's such a great question. And Dana and I can talk about that for hours from like a food perspective, but what an interesting way. From a fitness perspective too, which can be so incredibly triggering for people, and I raise my hand for myself with this. Like Dana knows, like it's hard for me sometimes to be like, "Oh, I wanna, I wanna start like moving my body more," but then other times it's like, "But I also really love the couch." And so it's like, yes, the <laughs> cool thing of thinking like, how how do you help people kind of create? this, like, I call it like a fluid structure when it comes to food. Like, how do I create like flexible structure um, without it feeling that like, and when to know when that point is where like, oh, I need to pump the brakes. I'm being too perfectionistic. Or like, when am I actually saying like, hey, no, I want to do this. And why am I like pushing back against myself for something
2: that I know it would feel good to do, and I'm happy to do it. Right. Yes. Um, I think this is something that we brought up. Uh, A Joyful Movement program member brought this up in round one when we talked about structure one week. And she was like, Well, you know, when do I know that structure is a prison versus like feeling like a, a foundation and a home? And that felt really like a great um, switch there because for a lot of us, structure does feel somewhat like a prison. Like it does feel really encapsulating. And if we uh, we actually don't even have the choice to go outside of it versus a house, hopefully we have the choice to stay inside, chill, or like walk out the front door and be like, okay, cool. Like I get to make that choice of when I'm treated and when I am not in that. Um, as far as how you go about implementing that, I love tuning into... First of all, like the things that you you know that you enjoy, and some people might be like, I actually don't even know the answer to that, so that might be a great place to start um, to be able to give yourself truly the freedom to explore. To say, I can stop whenever I want to. I don't actually have to sweat or have a certain intensity. I definitely don't even have to go into a gym. So if you're like, I don't like gym spaces, especially still with COVID and everything. It's like, you don't need to do that. Um, As a trainer, I'm just like, I know that the gym is somewhat my happy place and I understand that. For people to expand their minds and say, okay, well, what can that movement space look like for me? Can it look like a pole dancing studio? Can it look like my own bedroom? Can it look like going outside? Um, Can it look like with my kids at a little playground? And that can start to shift some things of what the environment looks like and feels like. Um, and it might just be that also, I think sometimes when you talk about joyful movement, that it's like, oh, I'm going to have a huge smile on my face and everything's just going to be amazing. Uh, dropping that expectation. Uh, this is something that, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking on her name, Linda, but um, it's at little winged potatoes. I'll find this later for show notes or something, but she talks about tolerable movement as well, where it's more of a neutral approach where it's like, what is tolerable for me today? Could that be a walk? Um, could that be something that's kind of, we also call it the low hanging fruit of something that doesn't take a whole lot of challenge, a whole lot of effort, even if like, um, you know, the effort of just getting equipment and stuff, it's like, can it be a low equipment thing? Uh, all of those factors can come into play where it's like, how can we take the, you know, the activation energy of this down, going back to my science roots a little bit, um, so that we can kind of create that catalyst for, for the first step. And so I like to start with pleasure and going towards pleasure instead of you know, avoiding pain. Cause I think that's what a lot of us do where it's like, well, I don't feel great in my body right now for any number of reasons I'm pain. you know, there's stiffness, there's, you know, body changes I've gone through, et cetera, or like, I don't feel as strong. And so we're kind of, instead of, avoiding that pain, how can we move towards joy instead and flip that script a little bit? Um, so going towards more pleasure, adding pleasurable things like podcasts, music, you know, a, an outfit that feels comfortable and fits you properly, all that good stuff. Um, that's a great place to start. Does that help a yeah, little? Yeah,
0: definitely. And I think, you know, I'm thinking through Um, you know, talking through the other like roadblocks that might come up for people, right? Like obviously a big roadblock or obstacle that people may have is if in the past they were told, as everyone is, right, exercise or workouts especially become basically married with weight control, right? And so Mm -hmm. how... With your clients as a more, like, intuitive fitness or, like, non-diet trainer, how do you help them disentangle fitness from weight loss to produce a more, like, peaceful and gentle relationship with fitness?
2: Mm. So I love that you say weight control, because I think we always say weight loss or fat loss. And sometimes it's just weight management is the other like word <laughs> that we love to use. So it's like, well, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm just trying to stay the same weight. And it's like, well, <laughs> your body can determine that. So <laughs> uh, the first thing I do is just set those expectations off the bat that you may gain weight, lose weight, stay the same. That's just going to be on the back burner. Most of my clients are in recovery. They've been cleared for exercise, all that good stuff. Um, So a lot of them are kind of on the same page of like, I'm trying to, um, even if I still have these thoughts of, you know, wanting to change the way that my body looks, I'm at least open to this idea of something more. And what I find so funny, honestly, about um, more rewarding faster. So if you are trying to, in- if you've ever tried to intentionally change your body, that shit takes time. <laughs> that takes uh far more time than uh, the immediate response that my body has after moving my body in a way that feels good. I've got my endorphins going. Uh, Maybe I feel like a little accomplished as well. There's some confidence going. Maybe I learned something new. And so all these neurotransmitters are like, yeah, this is awesome. And so I would much rather focus on that like short-term pleasurable gain rather than, um, you know, this long-term goal that, you know, for better or for worse, like, I just don't think it's very important (laughs) and it's kind of boring, which is why I think the other follow-up question that people have is like, how do I stay motivated? And it's like, oh, I just stay motivated because I think about how I'll feel immediately after, or even during. Um, That's something that we definitely talk about with type one fun is type Type one fun is fun during and fun after. So it might be like a really chill yoga class or like a dance class, I freaking love Zumba. Um, So maybe something like that. Type two fun is like, it's challenging, but you feel pretty good after. You don't feel drained. Uh, that's a great indicator that you're still in that zone. And then type three fun might be something that's like shitty during, shitty after. Probably don't want to repeat that. <laughs> you're like, mm, that wasn't that wasn't so great. It wasn't a learning experience for sure. And I've learned that maybe I want to do a little bit less of that, or maybe I'm just not ready for that just yet. And that's totally okay. We can put it on the back burner. Um, so yeah, I, I find it funny that this weight neutral approach seems like it's so much more complicated to market and get to people on whatever. And it's like, no, this is actually so much easier because you're going after the immediate feeling of, you know, how your body and how you feel about your movement um, in the moment, like same day, same session. So I think that's kind of a great way to start introducing people to um, this weight neutral approach is just asking, how do you feel after this? You know, how did you feel during, or even before maybe they came in, they're like, Oh, you know, I felt kind of nervous or I felt kind of tired and stressed out from work. And then afterwards they're like, you know what, if it was really nice to kind of take a pause for my phone for 30 to 50 minutes, um, I was able to disconnect and connect back with my body or just kind of have this one-on-one time. And now I feel better. Easy peasy. I love that. I think it sounds like,
1: um, What a liberating way of looking at it because in so many ways, like, especially if you're someone who has always thought of, um, of fitness as a weight control or a weight loss or weight cutting type of activity, um, it can feel so, um, so like conditional, like, oh, I'm only doing this for this outcome, you know? And I think what's so cool about what, what, is in the intuitive kind of fitness and joyful movement, like move like um, you know, I don't know, like this philosophy, I guess, of doing all of that is that it kind of takes away that condition, which is like, I think honestly like kind of leads to some paralysis, you know, like kind of like, whoa, like I don't even know what no, oh, like, what do you mean, joy? Like, movement's joyful? No, like, movement's supposed to be like taking care of business, you know, <laughs> like, you know, getting doing this or like all that stuff. And so, I think I feel like in a lot of ways, for some of our, for some of the listeners, it can feel kind of like, wait, oh, pump the brakes, Barb. Like, <laughs> what do you mean that-, <laughs> that I'm supposed to be like type fun? I'm all about this. This sounds great, but like, how do I how do I, get from always being conditional to now being focused more on the, the joy of it? And I think it's cool that you mentioned like kind of, um, casually that a lot of people that you work with are on a recovery. And I feel like that's a, a really unique kind of, um, place to be in fitness. And how do you get from, from people who, um, who have been in that place where it's really conditional and how do they get to that next stage of even just wanting to explore and maybe, maybe they're not ready to explore um, fitness for joy.
2: Yeah, I love that you mentioned this um, almost like expectation that we need to go from one thing right into the other. Um, and I'm not saying that you're saying that, but that we tend to think that as soon as we're introduced to this idea, it's like, oh, like, how do I get there? Like, I'm not even close to it. Like I have a lot of doubts about this approach. Um, oh, I've been taught that doing high intensity circuit training is like going to get me there to better health or whatever. Um, which (laughs) scientifically actually it's not true. I would prefer that people do low intensity all day, every day. Uh, but that's a whole nother whole nother section and story. But yeah, I think, uh, I mean, thinking back on my own story, I didn't go right from, you know, you mentioned CrossFit a while back CrossFit was actually a stepping stone for me going from like bodybuilding, like aesthetic only, uh, kind of workouts to CrossFit, which was more like, um, to me, it was functional in the sense I was learning different movements. I I would come in and be like, what's a Turkish getup? What's a bear complex? What's, how do I, how do I Uh, gain the skill of like gymnastics movements. I don't know anything about this. And so that was exciting. That was the next step, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of intensity. And so I, you know, this exploration of movement didn't happen for me in four weeks. Uh, the joyful movement program, yes, it's four weeks, but that's not going to be like, okay, you've explored everything there is to ever explore. Um, like for me personally, I still want to go surfing one day. That'd be freaking awesome. Uh, but I don't have an ocean close to me in Tennessee, so (laughs) we'll have to wait a little bit longer on that one, but I, I encourage an open mind, but sometimes it's nice to be at least you know, introduced to something that you're familiar with. So for example, you know, it's not that weightlifting itself is a bad thing or even like circuit training is a bad thing. Um, but if you've had a relationship with it in the past where you're like, I can never miss a workout rest days really suck. Um, I remember getting really anxious on my rest days where I'm like, I'm supposed to be resting, but I can't wait to be back. And, um, yeah, that's totally normal. (laughs) Like in the sense of like, that's to be expected when you're starting to pull away from exercise in that really structured uh way at least that's what I had experienced so anyway um Yeah. Having little baby steps is really great. So if you're like, I still thrive on structure, I don't want to give that up. Great. Can you have, let's say for example, you're you're a really structured runner. Cool. Uh, So you always have your little watch. You're always tracking your time, your distance, um, everything, your calories burned. Can you then, maybe, maybe you still want to run Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, but maybe can you either switch to an analog watch that doesn't track time or sorry, just tracks time, but doesn't track other metrics. Or can you just go without a watch and see, and really tune into how you feel, um, go for a distance that feels good. And if you still have this thing about like, well, if I stop, then it's not a run. Cool. Have fun with that. (laughs) Keep running. (laughs) Um, I had to train myself out of that. Once I did an ultra, it is next to impossible to do, uh, what was it? 29 miles or 32 or something. It was a lot of miles. You had to hike, you had to walk. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, there will be experiences in your life where you're like, okay. Um, Nobody came and uh, put a big red F on my, on my forehead that I failed as a runner, just because I like stopped to take in the view for once or like walked a little bit because I was out of breath and whatever. Um, so there can be little baby steps in that process. And sometimes that's tough to figure out or tough to just know intuitively like, Oh, that's what I should do to get to more joyful movement. Um, so that's kind of where I can step in and and work with someone one-on-one and maybe they come in and I ask, how's your energy level today? What's your body feeling like? And they're like, Hey, I slept for four hours last night. Slept like shit. (laughs) Um, didn't eat enough for sure. I was kind of in a rush this morning. I'd be like, cool, cool. Like, you know, do you have a snack, etc.? I try to be kind of like a soccer mom and try to have snacks on me at all times. But anyway, um, even if we're working with imperfect conditions, can we then, you know, with my guidance, like take the intensity down? So there have been times that I've completely scrapped what we're supposed to supposed to in quotation marks, do. And we would just do like a stretching and mobility time, really chill, really low intensity, um, but just kind of teaching us that okay, how do you feel before, during, after? And a lot of the times they're like, okay, I didn't think that it would be worth showing up because I was really tired, really stressed out. Um, their nervous system is you know, all over the place, whatever. And afterwards they're like, wait, I do actually feel better. This was an appropriate movement to do. And so being able to feel that for themselves then helps them hopefully on their own going forward into the future to do that for themselves too. Um, so sometimes that guidance is really helpful.
0: Yeah, and I think I love that approach to intuitive training. And when when you have a coach who's not pushing you to grind through every single workout, (laughs) then it's easier to do that, right? Because you don't have to decide everything for yourself. But I think one of the other really hard things is whether people are just kind of working out on their own or if they are working with a personal trainer or if they're in a CrossFit gym or, you know, whatever, a lot of the times the culture is like, hashtag team no days off or like, you know, just no excuses, push through, whatever, which is as someone who's been a swim coach for, you know, over, I think like 12 years now and been an athlete my whole life, sometimes as an athlete, you do receive that message. But at the same time, When you look at it on like a macro scale, if you have a meet or if you have a competition or something as an athlete, the next day is either a rest day or it's a lighter day or some kind of active recovery day. And what people don't really think about is like you need those lighter days, even if you're a high training athlete or you're not. If not only because if you're having like a competition or something, but if your CNS is fried, if you're really stressed, if like you mentioned, you haven't eaten that morning or if you didn't get a lot of sleep or you have, you know, some kind of sickness or something. I think it's really helpful for, you know, especially a trainer or someone who's going to be there to one, not push you through and be hashtag team no excuses because that can lead to burnout and all sorts of other issues in addition to your relationship with exercise. Right, but it's easier if somebody else is doing it for you because it's so hard when you're trying to figure it all out on your own.
2: Yeah, I I love that. And I love that you mentioned the athlete section for, (laughs) I'm going to be really clear. I was a recreational athlete at best (laughs) in swimming. Uh, my sister is actually a more competitive athlete in swimming. So I think it's awesome that you bring that up. And maybe a lot of us can relate to the, to the idea of being athletes when we were younger. I can't, but you know, (laughs) like that is a whole different ball game. I want to make that very clear. Um, to anyone really is that we expect to participate in fitness as if we are athletes. And I know there was a time where, you know, I was in my CrossFit gym, they're like, yeah, you're athletes. And I was like, no one is paying me for this. I do not have specific competition days. Um, All of the things that I participate are on a recreational basis. This is a hobby. Um, And unless you're, let's say in the scope of CrossFit, you're particularly training for with a coach one-on-one group classes are not the way to train into, you know, competitive phases, like you have one-on-one coach time, um, then great. Like you're an athlete. Maybe you'll get sponsored. Maybe you'll get some sort of income from that. But I always say like, if you are not getting paid for that, you're not signed onto a team. Like if you're not a whatever D1 college athlete or something, it's like then you are a regular person using fitness to enhance the rest of your life period and stop and that's not something to be like ashamed about be like i'm not doing enough or i'm not good enough to be an athlete it's like no this is just the purpose that fitness has in your life now and that can be sometimes really tough um from what I've heard from people who used to be athletes or were involved in sports, you know, in competition a lot. And then they're like, now I have to transition out of that mindset. Um, And that periodization of like, you've got your accumulation and then your pre-competition and competition, et cetera. um, You have very specific training periods versus just like, oh, I'm just like, gonna be doing a consistent thing of two to three times a week I'm you know gonna do some strength training and then I walk and you know do some fun stuff on the weekends and whatever um, whatever that looks like it's gonna be very different between an athlete and then what we call general population which I still think is kind of mean I feel like I is like call it something more fun I think we just want to call ourselves athletes because we don't want to be like I'm general population <laughs> that's not as fun to say so um badass regular humans. That's what I'm going to say. Um, This made me think about, I really like how you're talking about how
1: not general population, right? We need a better name. You're right. I think I like that because I mean, I was an athlete when I was younger. I was a dancer, a really competitive dancer. And now I'm like, how do you, like, I have always run into this thing where it's like, I feel like from, from when you're going from that to going towards, like you're saying general population, I feel like that transition can be really difficult. And I feel like Sometimes um, that can be a real roadblock in the fitness industry in order to get into like a more gentle and an intuitive approach to movement because we really loved a a lot of the advice out there and a lot of the stuff that people are reading. If you're just Googling stuff, it's also like that you're doing like athlete level type activity. And you're not like, you're not doing like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not dancing 40 hours a week. Like I used to, and the needs that I have are totally different now than they were before. And I, I would love for you to elaborate on like some of those roadblocks that you see in that kind of, in that industry that keeps people from stepping into that and like kind of keeping that mentality of, oh, I need to carry this forward or it's not good enough unless I'm keeping that that like all or nothing or that ride or die kind of vibe when it comes to it.
2: I love that you say ride or die. I uh, challenge anyone to pause the podcast or something and just search like m- gym motivation. I love searching that shit every once in a while because it's always like it's got these like heroic undertones of like it's life or death. <laughs> um, it's usually also like entrepreneurial, very like capitalistic of like, you got to hustle to succeed. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to shoot myself <laughs> It's just like, no, I'm going to turn this off. Uh, But it has these undertones of like, it's really intense and you get to be the hero of your own story. And that can be really, it can feel like, I guess, empowerment for a lot of people where it's like, I'm taking control of my story. And it's like, you can do that, but you don't have to do all this other stuff with it, if that makes sense. Uh, Because as an athlete, you're like, you're very responsible for your own individual actions um, because that's, what's going to play out on the field or in the water, or wherever your, your sport is. Um, And so I see that a lot. So search your gym motivation video or something. I think those are really fun. But um, I think the question to ask is there is a, you know, is there a reason that athletes don't usually continue past like 30 or 40 years old? Yes. Yes, there is. Um, it's usually because athletes are not the pinnacle of health. They're just trying to get as much time out of, you know, the peak of their competition phase or, you know, whatever their particular, like, you know, wherever their, their strengths are between like 20 to 30 years old, some folks, uh, and some, uh, uh, particular sports, even younger, again, clearly not my uh, specialty because the way that I'm talking about it, but uh, there's not a lot of athletes that are out there that are just like, yeah, I'm going to like compete for the rest of my life. Um, there is a point that you you do have to stop. And just like you said, like 40 hours of intense dance training, like every single week that is going to take, take a toll. And so we have to uncouple this idea of like uh, athletes are the pinnacle of health because they're not. <laughs> they are the pinnacle of performance. Um, I think that's important to say like health is not equal to performance. And if you're trying to work out or move your body for performance, that's going to be very different versus health. Um, so that's the first thing to kind of insert into our minds and like, and play around with and, and look at, because I think we also look at athletes bodies and we're like, Oh, they have a six pack and they can like do all these things. And that's cool. Um, but then I also encourage you to look at different athletes of like, what's the shot putter look like? Well, you know, what does the sprinter versus the marathoner look like? Like really look at the diversity of bodies that exist versus just like the, you know, the ones that are featured in Nike ads, because let me tell you, it's probably not the shot putter. It's probably the sprinter that has big ass muscles and like, looks cool. Um, and conforms to these standards of beauty and health that we've determined is like the thing, but it's just not. So, um, yeah, that's the first thing to, to start with is like, okay, I'm one, not an athlete, or even if I used to be, maybe I'm not now and that's okay. Um, and then, yeah, there's still a way to, and I know we talked about this a little bit before, Uh, There's still a way to train for performance if you would like to, without having to be an athlete, you can still have goals. um, But I would say if you have had like a more, I don't know, like restrictive or sort of like, you know, I'm like, I'm guilty if I skip a workout, that kind of thing. If you've been very uh, perfectionistic with your movement, it's probably a sign that you need to do less of that it's probably a sign you need to dial it back focus more on pleasure focus more on flexibility and then eventually introduce more sort of like training and just like regular general population goodness and you can still track like if you're a numbers person awesome instead of tracking your uh, body composition you can totally track like oh my resting heart rate is a lot lower or like um i can lift more than I did before and it feels better. My form is better. Um, there's tons of other things, but you can still shift it away. And it really opens up the field for a ton of other things to, to look at.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's so important to think about. Also, so you guys know, when when we were in this like weird transition period as seniors of like coming off being varsity athletes and then being like, oh my God, we're about to graduate from college and we're not athletes anymore. We were like, we're gonna become NARPs, non-athlete regular people. <laughs> like that actually sounds kind of mean so maybe we shouldn't call it that because like NARP just sounds weird but yeah little side note there but so speaking of more of these kind of like roadblocks and like more of just the ingrained problems in the fitness industry and then how it plays out on social media and in promotion for these businesses that we were talking about before right so Christina and I loved that you posted a picture of yourself as a baby and the caption was when someone posts a body transformation picture and says it's not about the weight and for the listeners who obviously can't see this one you should go to Barb's Instagram and see (laughs) but her baby face was just like stank I still have that face. (laughs) Right so could you talk a little bit more about the problems with before and after photos or
2: transformation photos? Yeah, for sure. So it definitely ties into this idea of like fitness and health has a look, um, and it's so so there's like i've noticed there are two different kinds usually of before and after pictures so the first one is usually where one uh the before is clearly somebody that is like not happy with their life and you can see that they're um you know fat or plus sized or whatever like verbiage you want to use with that and then the other one is like they're beaming and they're obviously thinner or more muscular and um it's always it's never the other way around <laughs> like i've never seen it before and after where it's like, Oh, I gained weight and I was much healthier, you know, and like much happier, um, unless you venture into the like eating disorder recovery side of, <laughs> of Instagram then you might see a few of those, but typically they're always a weight loss or some sort of fat loss orientation. And then the caption is something usually along the lines of like, I'm so proud of myself. I achieved this goal. So you have the sense of empowerment that they were able to achieve something personally. And then, um, probably some like lifestyle changes of like, you know, putting themselves first and having some sort of self-care practices in that. Um, and maybe even going through something, something challenging in their life and then also challenging themselves. So kind of taking that interna, internal internal uh, locus of control, cool. Um, so all of that like sounds nice when it's packaged and I never wanna take away, um, you know, the this like feeling of empowerment and confidence from someone But my question is, can you just, can you talk about that inner transformation? Really? Like, if that's really what it's about, then you don't need the before and after picture. You just don't. It doesn't matter to me what you looked like five years ago or a year ago to what you look like now. First of all, usually it's some random stranger. So it's like, I don't even know what you looked like. I wouldn't have known if you hadn't shown me, um, but you could have just talked about that in internal transformation and the actions that you took. Um, that might be a nice way to approach it if it's truly not about the weight. Um, but it usually is because that's kind of how we perform health and how we have to kind of, uh, also our worth is wrapped up in that or level is wrapped up in that, um, our chances of like finding a partner and like, you know, being swiped right on dating apps and shit. It's like, oh, okay, like there's some privilege that comes with losing weight and being treated better in like doctor's offices and stuff. It's serious, it's serious stuff. And so I don't wanna take that um, experience away. And I've kind of, I used to like sometimes comment on those and I was like, I'm just gonna let this person go through what they need to go through. Like that is not my journey at all. But at the same time as us who are flipping through like all of those posts to just kind of notice it and understand ah, this is just somebody who has gone through a weight loss or fat loss transformation. And then they're also adding in some other stuff about internal transformation, but they really want you to see how they've changed on the outside. Um, A similar one that I've seen, that's a little more tricky. And I would love to hear your um, own responses to when you see these, but it's usually someone who's like very thin, um, and they're like, yeah, I was like really unhealthy then. I was doing lots of cardio. I wasn't eating enough. And then the other one is still them pretty thin, but they've added muscle. And so now they're like, I'm eating so much more, And they usually still count calories. So they're like, now, I've increased my calories to X amount. Look how great I feel. And also look how great I look. And strong is the new skinny. And I feel like that one's a little more subtle, but it's also a transformation picture where it's like, okay, yet again, is this about your body or is this about your internal transformation? I know you're trying to make it about both, but can you talk about the internal transformation without showing your body and also showing like, Oh, like, look how sick I was. And then it turns into like the sickness Olympics. And, you know, then we start to question like, am I sick enough to get help? And it's just a whole mess. Um, so I wonder if you've seen both of those kinds and what you think about that. Oh, we've seen
1: them Barb and I'm going to let, I'm going to say one thing and then I want everybody to hear Dana's raw version of this because you guys can't see her face right now because this is the podcast, but there is when, she, when Barb started describing this, there was an eye roll heard around the world from our girl Dana and we have to hear her thoughts. But all I wanted to say was something that me and Dana talk about all the time the last thing the world needs is a bunch of other thin people showing off their body in front on social media. That's the last thing the world needs more of. And so that's my like five second response to that. But I want Dana to take this because I know she's got a lot of feelings because of that eye roll and I want everyone to hear it.
0: Obviously, both of these situations are very problematic because they – glorify and place morality around the second photo, no matter what it is. When I hear the description of the second one, I'm like, oh, so you used to have an eating disorder and you weren't going to the gym and now you still have an eating disorder, but now you're just putting on more muscle because now you're not eating 500 calories a day anymore. It's like, I don't wanna even say like, oh, which one is better, you know? But it's like, you, you're still sick. Right. So it's like, yes, it's good that now you're eating at least more than you were before, but you can see like... Someone who's posting something that like that is clearly like one going through something, two, needs some help, and three, is also looking for validation. They're like, oh, look at all of the things that I've been doing. And you know, we're all guilty of this. Even if you post a picture of when you're when we can travel again on Instagram, you're like, look at this cool place I went. Like everyone, look at this cool place that I went, you know? And so whenever you're posting a picture like that, it's like everyone look what I'm doing. Give me some validation that I'm better now. Because it's also like they're looking for people to tell them that they're doing the right thing, right? And echoing what Christina said, the world does not need more thin white women saying, I wish I could just accept myself as I was. You know, like everybody has their own body image struggles, but what people don't realize when they're in thinner bodies because they've never had the experience of being in a larger body is that when you're saying, oh, I'm only able to accept myself now, you're saying when I was that other size, I would never be able to accept myself, meaning everyone who is not as small as me, I will never be able to accept them. So someone else is looking at that photo and being like, oh my gosh, they, what must they think of me? Even if you don't know that person, right? So there's, this is like an onion or like a many layer cake, right? There's so many layers to pull back on that. And it's like, where do I even start? Right? And We also just want to say is, like, we don't want you guys to think that anyone who's listening, if you're in that situation, like, we're not judging you. We've all been there. You know, like, if you feel like you're there, try and get support from a non-diet trainer like Barb. Try and get support from someone who does more on the mindful, more, or, like, wholehearted eating approach. (laughs) Haha, plug for the podcast name. You know, like, (laughs) anything like that, because... If someone is posting something that's like, I've been, you know, hitting the gym super hard and here's all my calories and here's all my abs and everything. It's like, clearly there's something deeper going on there. Um, and it's not healthy. Spoiler alert. It's not healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I also think too, I, I I think a lot of it too goes back to, it's got me thinking about um when I see stuff like that, and I hope that this gives people, like, like Dana is saying, we're not judging people for having that experience because everybody's on their own journey, like you said earlier, bar like that's their own experience that they need to go through and they need to live that, you know, live that experience. Um But it also kind of reinforces the idea to me is let's hate the game. Like, let's let that bring highlight to the game, not the individual and realize that that individual lives in the exact same culture and that exact same game that we all are a part of. And we were lucky enough to get a therapist (laughs) to say, hey, have you ever tried to not set a goal? Like, you know, or... Had a therapist who said hey you know have you thought about your relationship with food and that it could be kind of muddled with stuff like not everyone's had that experience and so i think it's important to like remember like i always say like let's hate the let's hate the game like let's let that bring highlight to the game the overall game that that we're all kind of players in and that we're trying really hard to bring light to that this game is rigged, you know? You know This game is they're rigged and the they're, football. they're messing with our minds. And it's like, this is like the perfect example of that. And I think like this like leads really well into this question that Dana and I really want to ask people. And I feel like you would be a great person to ask, especially um, with this conversation we're having, but what do you think needs to change in the fitness industry to make it a more inclusive and supportive environment for all bodies. And huh, yeah, it just feels like what a perfect segue into this question. And we'd love to hear um, what your thoughts are.
2: A lot, <laughs> a lot needs to change. Um, there are thankfully so many amazing people already doing that change and doing that work, Justice row and Decolonizing Fitness. And um, Ilya Parker is really wonderful. And you know uh gosh so many so many wonderful people uh sharing their experiences and us being able to listen to them openly and wholeheartedly and say like okay um that is the experience that you have truly lived through um just going to some sort of fitness space or gym space and especially listening to people you know of marginalized bodies and the people that like i i always like to think of this as one when we say inclusive for all bodies I think we think we know what that means. Like I think that I, or I thought that I knew what that meant, and then I feel like I learn all the t- time because I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here. I'm thin. I'm white. I'm cis. I am queer, but then also um, I'm neurotypical. Like I don't have a disability that I I know of right now, or at least and you know, not right now. Um, so all of these things are like, these are not experiences that I have. So how can I one diversify who I'm learning from? If you notice that you're typically learning from one kind of person, um, that's a great opportunity. I love Instagram for this because it's so easy to just be like, great, here's another person that I can follow that has a different experience than I do. Um, man, yes. Like Demali Frazier, she's so wonderful and is a kettlebell coach. And she'll like tell you, Hey, if you've got a bigger boob, like and belly situation in the front, how can you do kettlebell swings so that you're not just like, Oh, the movement, like I can't do it because of my body. She teaches you how to adjust that movement. So on and so forth. So, um, there are so many awesome people to learn from already. And to just understand that maybe we don't even know, we can't even maybe imagine the diversity of bodies right now um, that exists in this very moment. And the less we can assume the better. And, uh, you know, just for me to, if I had a gym or if I continue to like build this inclusive space, whatever that there are to- totally things that I won't know. And somebody will come to me or try to work with me. i am be like, I actually cannot work with you. I don't know how to help you best. And so bringing this, um, essentially, I think of like a network of providers because I don't think as one person, one trainer, I can train everybody there is in the world. Um, even if I just think of general population, even though that's, (laughs) I just love that term Uh, general population is super diverse. Um, we all have different abilities, backgrounds, body shapes, sizes, um, just you name it. And so in different approaches that we like, like there might be people that will never want to do weightlifting, but they're super stoked on pole dancing or yoga or something. And that's just not my forte, but Roz the diva is fucking amazing. And she's going to be my pole dancing girl. And I'll be like, great, please work with her. Um, so just having that network of people to be able to refer to um, is really wonderful. And I think that's what the fitness industry maybe needs to start doing is, is kind of uh, pulling back from this idea, like we mentioned in the beginning, full circle moment of like, here's one system that works to just be able to and be like, here are all the stars in the constellation. We're all connected. We're all part of the same deal, but we can all connect to each other and say, you know what, I'm gonna pass you over to this person. See if they're a better fit because I know that they can serve you and your body and your needs a lot better than I can at this moment. Just recognizing our own limits and that we're not some like limitless hero, you know, trainers and we're just like, yeah, we can do it all. It's like, no, I can't. And that's okay. That doesn't make me a worse trainer. In fact, it probably makes me a better trainer because it means I work with the right people that I can actually help.
0: Exactly. That's what I was going to say. If you like when you said, the less we assume, the better, that's what it is, right? Because If you're a practitioner and you think you know everything, if you think you can solve everything for everybody, you're not an expert at anything, right? You're just trying to be like dabble in everything, which is not going to allow you to truly focus in on one group or two groups or a specialty or anything like that. Well, Barb, thank you so, so much for coming on. This was such a fun conversation. Before we let you go, please let everybody know all of the places they can find you.
2: Yeah, so definitely find me on Instagram at non-diet underscore trainer. Uh, That's probably where most of my stuff is. I'll just read things on Facebook. If you're still on Facebook, you're welcome to find me there at the non-diet trainer. And um, all of my links are going to be there. So if you want to book a call with me, if you just want to DM me about something, um, if you want to get on the waitlist for the Joyful Movement program, awesome. That will be opening up pretty soon. Uh, the official start is going to be in April. So it's coming up. Can't believe it's March already. So I'll be sending out more information, particularly to that waitlist. And y'all will also get a 10% off little discount um, since you all will be the first ones to know. So that's the main stuff uh, that I got going on. And yes, I've got openings for one-on-one stuff as well. Uh, I do virtual and in-person here in Nashville, all like COVID safe. I actually, fun fact, had COVID in November and was able to not pass it on to anyone due to my policies. So they really do work. It's wonderful.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me, (laughs) y'all.
1: Hey friends, it's Christina. Thanks for listening to the Whole Heart of Eating podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies using Wholehearted Eating. If you're interested in learning how we can work with me or Dana for one-on-one nutrition counseling, or you want to check out one of our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. See you next week.